today is a truth-filled Sunday. Uh, today, we're going to just talk, we're going to talk about some honest truth, okay? And, and here's the thing, um, just get uncomfortable now, okay? It's great. It's going to be good. I, I have uh, had this, this uh, thing over the last month or so that God's been dealing with me about. And as I was processing this thing, God was walking me through in a specific area of my own life we'll talk about later. I realized the Lord was really starting to stir a message on my heart. And I truly do believe the best messages that we can write are the ones that God has dealt with us first, right? It's like not a good preacher to stand up and preach about something that you have no context for. So I just, I really felt like the Lord was walking me through it. And as he did, I came across this portion of scripture that really challenged my heart and began to rewire the way that I thought about truth. And so I want to share that with you this morning. Today, we're talking about fighting the lies. Now you might go, that sounds like a youth group sermon. Yeah, you're right. It, it does. Like I've preached this sermon to like kids church, like don't lie. The Bible says that. That's not what we're talking about today. Uh, but what we are going to be honest about is if we're all truly like, you know, just open about it, we all lie. You know, like every day we do. You just think about some of the lies that like you even just tell yourself every day, right? Like, yeah, that workout I did this morning takes care of this giant piece of chocolate cake. Like, you know it doesn't, you know. Or if I ignore it, it'll go away. That's a good one. Uh, my personal favorite, like I say favorite, my most probably consistent lie that I lie to myself is I'm watching a movie late at night and I'm like, I'll switch the laundry before I go to bed. Like, then, no, that doesn't happen. I end up having to start the laundry over again the next day because I'm too tired by the time I get up. I'll only eat one more I'll start getting up an hour earlier tomorrow, just one more episode and it's off to bed, or this one, every single human in this congregation has done this lie before, and if you tell me you haven't, you live in like caveman times. Here it is. It's checking that little box that says, I have read the terms and conditions of this. (laughs) Nobody reads those, right? And if you do read them, please come tell me that, because... How do you have time, right? Like you must live and do nothing all day because those things are like one jillion words. Or I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. Anybody that's been around me long enough would know that I say that one pretty right. I'm fine. It's fine. We're fine. We're good. It's good. We all participate in lies. And what's so funny about that is lying is something, it's one of those things that Like, it was the first sin we learned about when we were kids, you know? Like, the moment you're old enough to know what lying is, your parents start to teach you to not do it, right? I mean, we we teach our kids all the time to tell the truth, that the truth is important, and we don't lie. And and why do little kids start lying? Well, I know why I started lying. I didn't like getting in trouble, right? It's like self-preservation. You you start to learn to lie because the fear of, of mom and dad being mad at you is just too much to bear. So the risk of lying is way worth the risk of like the whooping you're going to get if you get caught doing whatever you just did. We're taught from a super young age. In fact, you could, you could argue that at the core of who we are, we all have a clear understanding that lying is wrong and we shouldn't participate with it. But the reality is Besides these goofy things we tell ourselves, we all open ourselves up to lies each and every day. But it may not be the obvious lying that I'm talking about. You see, the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. 
the father of lies. He's the, the creator of lies, the curator of lies. He's the beginning of lies. He's the father of lies. And we know and understand that God is truth. So you have on one end lies and on one end truth, and it's constantly at war around us. If we choose to ignore this fact, we will find ourselves consistently participating with lies of the enemy without even noticing it. And we participate in these lies, not just by speaking them ourselves, but by believing them, by listening to them, by thinking about them. And each and every time we participate with lies, we find ourselves being pulled away from who God is and what he created us to be. Lies is one of the enemy's greatest strategy because it's one of his original sins. The enemy is a liar. And if he can use a lie to pull you away from your calling and purpose in life, he will. And the reality is both truth and lie cannot coexist. I'm sorry, friends, but partial truth is not a thing. There's either truth or there is lie. And anything in between is not truth. So if that's the basis of what we're talking about today, what does that mean for us? And and how is it that we're engaging with lies in each and every day? And if I am engaging in lies of the enemy each and every day, how can I begin to fight the lies in my life to live the way that God has intended me to? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. I came across this chapter as God was dealing with me on this particular topic five or six weeks ago. And as I was reading through this chapter, I kind of had like a lot of joy in my heart because the Jesus I read about in this chapter feels very real to me, okay? Because like three times in a row, three different stories, uh, some really frustrating things happen and Jesus just tells it how it is. And I really identify with that savior. (laughs) Like he name calls people and I want to do that all the time. And so when I read it, it was really exciting for me because Jesus got frustrated and called people names. And I felt like it made me feel like I could do that too. I'm kidding. I can't. I'm not the savior. But I do find this chapter interesting because there are three different instances here where Jesus is coming across someone who is believing a lie and he speaks truth to them to help them counteract it. The fourth story that's in here is Jesus checking to see if the disciples know the truth of who he is. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 1 through verse 23. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we forgot the bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, oh, you of little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves? Because you've brought no bread. Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves and the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? 
but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah and one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered to him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And also to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this will not happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Father, we are so thankful that we get to have the opportunity to come together in your presence. Lord, thank you for meeting us here today. God, I pray as we continue to dig into your word and and look at the truth that you're speaking to us in this chapter, Lord, that you would illuminate our hearts. God, that you would allow us to see inside of ourselves and identify the places where we may be letting the enemy have a field day in our hearts. God, I pray today that you would change us. Lord, today that we would, we would hear you clearly and leave this place forever changed in your name. We pray. Amen. I love this chapter. I mean, he's like, hypocrites, wicked and adulterous generation. You have little faith. Get behind me, Satan. That one I want to say sometimes to people. Anybody else? They're like, you are something else. Now, Jesus is having these, these, these different encounters with people. And I think as we dive into these stories and we really dig into what's happening here, we can begin to see how the enemy is at work in different ways to draw people away from who Christ is. First and foremost, we get to the story with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the very fact that these two groups of people are like working together is a big deal because they don't really agree on anything. So when you see them come together in scripture, it's like a big deal because they finally found like a common enemy. So they come together and they make this plan. We're going to go to Jesus and force him to give us a sign, right? They're, they're challenging who God is. They're literally walking up to Jesus screaming, prove it right? Prove it. Prove you say who you are. And Jesus wasn't having it. Jesus understood that this was a ploy to try to disprove that he was the Messiah. The Pharisees and Sadducees were out to distract others from following Christ. Their goal and purpose was to pull away the people who knew who Jesus was. And Jesus wasn't going to allow this to occur. This is a lot like other people we may have in our lives. You see, sometimes when it comes to lies of the enemy, it comes from the people and the other voices outside of us. Lies that we encounter in our daily lives because of the social media people we follow or the the people at work we hang around or the people we choose to put in our circle, people who 
teach falsehoods or, or people who speak falsely of us. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I, I know of people who have had radical life changes in Christ and they have others in their life that can't let go of who they once were. So they continually speak lies over a believer because they, they haven't yet let go of the old man and believe that the new man exists. Have you ever had that happen before? I don't know about you, but that is one of the most disheartening things to occur. I, I, I have experienced this on a very low, low level. Okay, Thanksgiving's coming up soon, and our favorite thing is to hang with family, right? And when I'm with my family, I love my family. I adore all of my family. But my siblings and I are like any group of siblings, okay? There's still rivalry. We might be grown people, but it's really easy to start acting like you're 12 again. It's like, this is honest Sunday, remember? True Sunday, we're just being real. Like, it really can. And we can be having a great time at lunch, and my mom always knows when trouble's coming. Because one person will say one thing, and then the response from someone else is, see, I knew you hadn't changed. Like, you, you do one little glimpse of some character flaw you had when you were 16 years old. Like, one tiny little thing, and then your siblings are all over you because you're still this mean, horrible, terrible human being. And then it's like, just World War III breaks out, and it's just the worst, and you all are like adolescents again. Ever had those encounters? Why does that frustrate us so much? Because somebody is speaking mistruths about who we are. They are hanging on to something that was never intended to be about me. They're hanging on to an old self and not grasping on to the new me. And that is frustrating. See, the Pharisees and Sadducees were too close-minded in their situation. They were completely oblivious to the truth that was in front of them. And sometimes we encounter people in the same situation, completely oblivious to the truth that is right in front of them. And that can be so disheartening. In psychology, they call this experience that I'm referring to as a self-fulfilling prophecy. I had to look it up and make sure I had the right words last night. Self-fulfilling prophecy. You might assume this is the thing where like, if you think you're going to fail a test, then you do fail the test. That's, that's not exactly. Self-fulfilling prophecy has to do with how we encounter other people. What a self-fulfilling prophecy is, is you have a belief or an assumption about someone that's not true. And so you behave in a way when you interact with them, assuming that falsehood about them. Your behavior causes them to believe something about you and in turn reinforces that action. So when they act out on what you originally believed, and now you have proof and evidence that what you originally believed is actually true, not a falsehood. And it's this cycle we go through with people. We believe things that are untrue. Not only do we do it to others, but we're constantly in those cycles with people who do it to us who see something or believe something that's a falsehood in you, respond to you or react to you in that way, you feel that reaction of frust and it frustrates you. So then you start to believe something back about them. You act out on that belief and then you end up responding in the way proving what they thought was true in the first place. It's a vicious cycle that, that makes things that are lies about us to eventually become true. Jesus knew the danger of being around people or listening to people who spoke lies. In fact, the very next conversation he has with the disciples, that first line he says, shows us just how much Jesus was warning us about what kind of people we're surrounding ourselves with. He says to the disciples, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. 
Now we'll get into the disciples' frame of mind in a second. That warning, though, was Jesus communicating to us, hey, you shouldn't give people like that the time of day. He's referring to their toxic cynicism. Unfortunately, the world today has learned that if they slowly and carefully, intentionally put things in front of us that is not truth, that eventually they can wear a person down to begin to believe it. It's just society now. It's what access to information does, that people can send misinformation enough times over and over and over and over again that you start to find yourself moving closer and closer and closer to believing it. If you don't believe me, you should have sat through my public speaking class in college where I was actually taught how to do this very thing. How do you take someone who has a belief that's the opposite of yours and slowly over time get them to your side? It's manipulative and deceptive, but it is effective. What Jesus is communicating here, beware of the leaven. Beware of what they're putting into you because it will begin to change you. It will begin to affect your mindset. It will begin to affect your behavior. So we have to be cautious of what we are surrounding ourselves with. Jesus responds very clearly here. And I think we can take a lesson of how he speaks to the Pharisees and Sadducees because he responds with truth. He says to them, you're missing it. I'm right in front of you. You're missing it. And I will not participate in this nonsense. You're missing it. And I will not participate in this nonsense. He knew what they were doing was bait for something that was going to derail his call and purpose. And we can take a lesson from Jesus here that sometimes it's as simple as choosing not to participate. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, I'm not going to engage in this conversation that's meant to bait me. I'm not going to respond to the very public social media posts. I'm not going to continue listening to this podcast that's teaching things against the word of God. I'm not going to continue to compromise what movies and television I put inside myself. I'm not going to get sucked into petty arguments and lose my testimony. It's not worth it. Jesus understood that there was no convincing them otherwise. He merely called them out with truth and chose to walk away. Jesus warns us to beware of false teachers. And we know when something's false by living in the word. The ultimate truth. You see, the word is the place I can come to because it tells me who I am. The word is the place I can come to, to be reminded of who God is. And the word is a weapon to use against mistruths. Combat the lies with others with big T truth, just like Jesus did. The second story that happens here. The second story is really interesting to me because the disciples, they let their hangry get in the way of like hearing the message Jesus was trying to participate in. You know what I'm talking about? Hangry? You know what that is, right? You're hungry. You're so hungry, you're angry. Like, have you ever been so hungry? It doesn't matter what's happening around you. You just don't care. 
Like you're so hungry and there's a car accident right there and you're like, I don't care, get me food. You know, like you're just so hungry that your kid's crying out for you. You're like, it doesn't matter. I need it first. Like you're that hungry, okay? Like I imagine the disciples must have been starving or something because I don't understand how they so easily got distracted. They, they so easily missed the mark. They were occupied with food. But what's so incredible about their distraction is that they had just seen the food miracles. Like, like only a couple chapters before was Jesus multiplying bread for thousands of people. So the disciples get up here, they approach Jesus and they're like, dang it, we forgot dinner. And Jesus, you know, starts to try to teach his Bible lesson. And then they get all oh, he must be talking about the fact we forgot dinner. Like they, it's like they heard the word leaven and then their ears turned off. They, they, they missed the whole like Pharisees and Sadducees thing. Like they, Jesus never said anything about no bread. And then he starts to talk to them about this, these, two, these two miracles. He's like, weren't you there? I mean, seriously, guys, think about this for a second. Of all the people who were a part of that miracle, the disciples have no reason to ever think they're gonna starve. Because they would have been standing in proximity to Jesus when the bread started multiplying. They were the passer-outers and the picker-uppers. They were the cleanup crew. They were the servers. They were the ones who saw the miracle occur. It literally multiplied in their own hands. Yet they had already forgotten that Jesus was provider. And what's happening here is the disciples are distracted about something that it was never supposed to be about. Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson here and they're making about what it's not about. They missed the mark. Jesus had already proven himself to be provider, but they were so distracted with their hungry bellies that they missed what Jesus was actually trying to do. This is the lie of misdirection. And it is a really good tactic the enemy uses. Because the reality is sometimes the enemy can get us distracted with good things, so we miss out on the ultimate God things. Sometimes the enemy can get us distracted about things that, that feel right, but aren't actually what God is trying to speak to us about. And if he can get us just a little bit off track, just a little bit away from what God's actually trying to do, he can derail everything. It's the art of misdirection. We come into these lies all the time. And in the Modern day church, unfortunately, it's a reality we all live in. Church is about me being fed. And we forget that it's actually about an opportunity to serve and love others. We make our gifts and giving about receiving a blessing, not about the blessing God had already given me. We expect others to live up to some standard that we expect from them, when in reality, my standard is not any standard to live up to. We focus in on someone's sin and forget that it's actually just a symptom of the brokenness going on inside of them. We make church about high energy moments and not about gospel teaching. We focus on good things and we totally miss out on God things. They were so focused on the food. They missed the point of the message. How often do we fall prey to this kind of lie? How many times do we trust a good preacher's word so much that we quit listening for God's word? 
How many times do we find ourselves so focused inwardly that we miss out on the opportunity to bless those around us? How many times do we focus so hard on some life prescription new thing that people have got out there that we forget that just doing a daily devotional can be the cure of what we're going through? How many times do we make it about what it's not supposed to be about? And Jesus' response to their distraction is to remind them where they came from. Jesus speaks testimony over them. He takes them back to the place where they know the truth he is provider so that they can remember who he is again and move towards what he's trying to do here. Sometimes we have to go back. Sometimes we have to go back to the places we know we heard the Lord so we can realign ourselves and make sure we're headed in the direction he called us to. When it comes to direction and seeking direction, it comes to seeking direction in our lives. A lot of times we tend to constantly be praying about the next step that God wants from us, the next thing that God wants from us. And we're always looking forward to the next thing we need to go. The, the world kind of tells us we should be doing that, right? We're, we're working up our ladders of success and we're always looking for the next thing. But the reality is the best way to make sure you're staying on path is to not forget where you came from. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is look behind you at what Jesus has already done and continue walking in the last thing he told you. To continue stepping in the last promise he gave you. To continue being obedient with the last thing he required of you. And if you can hang on to that, we can fight off the lies of misdirection. The next story that happens here is actually one where they talk about truth Jesus asks the disciples, do you know who I am? And they say, yes. And Peter says, uh, you're the Christ. And Jesus is real excited. And he says a lot of really nice things. I'm going to build my church, you know, here. He's basically saying, like, you guys are going to do it, right? He's like, he's talking about all the, the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, the scripture, he's, he, Peter's the rock in which I will build my church. It's this big moment of truth that happens. And then the very last story to me is the most fascinating lie that's told. Jesus begins to tell the disciples about the plan. This is the first time in which it's going to happen. Jesus starts to let them know, I'm going I'm to go to Jerusalem and they're not going to like me and I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. And Peter does something insane. He decides he knows more than Jesus, unless Jesus knows that ain't happening. Now, the reason why I find this so fascinating, because like three scripture verses ago, God was telling him, the gates of hell will not prevail. All this great stuff's going to happen. And then five seconds later, Peter's being called Satan and an offense to Jesus. Like literally the, 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 the very wide difference of things that's being spoken to him. It's a huge deal. And what I believe occurred here is that, that Peter began to believe a lie about himself. He began to believe something about himself that he knew better than God. That he knew better than Jesus himself. And this level of arrogance begins to come out in him. You see, when we are all living the way that God calls us to, we all have a purpose in life. We all have a direction and a path that the Lord lays out in front of us. But when we begin to believe things about ourselves that are untrue, we wander off the path and we misalign ourselves with who God says we are. And that's how things get messed up. And on either side of that direction is two things. One is insecurity and the other is arrogance. 
insecurity and arrogance. These are the things that tend to pull us off the path in front of us. Insecurity is thinking that we are not capable. We are undeserving for the things of God. I have my guitar. We're not deserving of the things of God. This insecurity is not living in the confidence that we are the children of God. Thank you, Cody. On the other side is arrogance. Arrogance is assuming that we know more than God or better than God. Now, I don't think anybody struggling with arrogance actually consciously sits around and thinks, I am better than God. But we do tend to live that way. Arrogance is not living in the humility that we're the children of God. So on one side, we live without the confidence of it. On the other side, we live without the humility of it. Now guys, this truth here is what started this whole message for me. I don't know that I talk about this openly a whole lot. So I'm going to be just like vulnerable for a second. I love music. I love it. I love music. I love to sing. I love to play instruments. I love to listen to it. I love to dance to it. I love all the music things. But I am very insecure about it. A couple of months ago, transition happened in the youth ministry, and I had to step up and help lead out there. And something started to bubble up inside of me that I didn't realize was out of, as out of control as it was. My insecurity about playing music was at a whole nother level. I mean, for two weeks, I walked around here telling Charity and Linda they weren't allowed to walk in the door during youth service because I couldn't handle if they were here. And what I began to realize was that I really didn't believe that I was very talented. Ooh, it's out of tune. That's good. Not only do I feel insecure about how I play and sing, but then you put me in a place that has like an extremely talented group of musicians. I don't know if you guys know that, but our church is uber blessed. Like the amount of talent we have here, yeah, it really is incredible. And so not only was I struggling with my own insecurity and ability to play and do the things that God was asking of me, I started playing this comparison game. I started looking at all the talent around me and every person who can pick up a guitar and play beautifully and every singer whose voice is magical. And I, I started comparing myself going, God, I don't want to do this. So those first few weeks in youth group, my attitude was kind of crummy. I mean, I literally would just come out here and suffer through practice to just get through worship and youth and pray that it wasn't so bad that kids quit coming to church here. And a few weeks ago, I got really honest with a friend of mine. I finally just chose to be kind of vulnerable. And I said to her, I don't like playing music anymore. I started sharing all my woes. Because here's what it comes down to. I can't play an F chord to save my life. Okay. Can't do it. Can't do it. I will avoid any key with that chord in it as long as I live. I hate that chord. If you don't know anything about music, that's okay. It's one thing I can't play. And in this particular week, I was having to play it. I didn't have a choice. And I was woeing over. I mean, seriously, it's like, I can't do it. Okay. My fingers just don't sit there correctly. 
And so I was sharing with this friend of mine how frustrated I was having to do this and how I couldn't wait until I figured out how to get out of it and what I was going to do to make it happen. And she looked at me dead in the eye and she said this simple phrase, Erica, worship's not really about you. (laughs) Right? Because you guys are already thinking it. You're like, you're being ridiculous. Yeah, well, I needed the reminder, okay? I sat there for a second, a little bit shocked because she's uh, not a, a super like direct person. I hadn't seen her be that way before. She was being very direct with me. But I finally went back to the time that I first picked up the guitar. I didn't start learning to play and sing because I wanted to sing on a platform. I have always been a person that loves to sing and play in my bedroom. There's me and Jesus. As a young teenager, I would crank up the music as loud as I could and just worship my guts out at home. I feel like it's important for me to worship hard at home if I'm going to worship hard here to make sure my heart is focused on the right reason I'm in worship. I picked up a guitar because I wanted to have a more intimate encounter with Jesus. I started pushing myself in the space because I felt like it was a new level I could have, just me and Jesus and a little guitar. And, and for hours, I would sometimes sit there and play and sing and these prayers and songs and cries out to God in dark seasons and celebratory seasons and in good times and bad. I would just play until my fingers started bleeding, literally blood all over my guitar. I would, I would play my guts out and I wouldn't play good and I wouldn't sing great, but I would do it because it was for me and Jesus. And what God had to remind me a few weeks ago was that I was allowing insecurity to come in my life in an area that he and I had had done this together. And for a short season, he's asked me to use the gift that he developed in me. And he's not super worried about whether or not I can play an F chord. All Jesus was worried about was me being willing to do what he called me to. The music was about me and him. And insecurity and arrogance were in the way. See, both ends of that spectrum, both ends of that spectrum pull us away from knowing who God is and most importantly, knowing who he created us to be. And if we're not careful, we'll participate in these lies about ourselves and be pulled off of the plan God has for us if the worship team wants to come. You see, we combat these lies. We combat lies with truth. We combat lies with the truth in the word of God. We combat lies with the truth of what Jesus has done before. And we combat the lies by choosing to speak truth through vulnerability. Galatians chapter 6. Verses one through five say, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you should also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks of himself to be doing something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another for each one shall bear his own load. See, when I read this portion of scripture, I see 
what we're talking about today. I see three important truths I need to remember. First and foremost, we need each other. We desperately need each other. Secondly, I see that God does not want us to think of ourselves outside of his design. That God does not want us to get outside of who he says we are. And thirdly, I see it's my responsibility to combat the lies. It's my responsibility to seek for truth. It's my responsibility to move towards what God says about me. We need to be in the word. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us. But today, today that one word is what reigns so loudly in my heart. Vulnerable. See, sometimes the best thing we can do to combat lies of the enemy is to just be vulnerable. To just lay ourselves on the metaphorical operation table cut our hearts open and let God see what's in there. It's to go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to just finally be honest about what it is we're struggling with. See, the the enemy, he gets stronger when we do things on our own. Lies, they continue to carry weight when they stay in the dark. Sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is finally say it out loud. finally get honest about what it is we're battling with. To not be afraid of looking stupid. To not be afraid of somebody judging us for where we are. Because if we were all really honest, we all have stuff deep down inside of us that we believe that we know we shouldn't And if I just get honest, I might overcome it. When we get vulnerable with Jesus, it allows him to begin to speak truths to us. Sometimes the truths we need to hear are the most basic, simple things. Have you ever seen a kid who's just so overwhelmed with all the bad around them, they just kind of like have a full on meltdown? You know? They just kind of fall to pieces because they start to believe things that are untrue and they just can't process it in their little brains. My son recently had a moment like that. He'd messed up. It was no big deal, but being in trouble was just a little bit too much that day. He hadn't had enough sleep the night before. We were back here in my office and he fell to the floor was weeping in tears you know and you kind of on the inside want to be like get up stop acting like that but grace okay I I had a moment where I stopped to realize what was really happening he needed to hear me speak some truth over him to know everything was going to be okay so I did the only thing I knew to do I crawled down on the floor with him laid my head right next to his And I said these three things over and over again. You are loved. You are wanted. You're my child. You're loved. You're wanted. You're 
my child. You are loved. You are wanted. You're my child. I truly believe when it comes to all the lies of the enemy, if we can just come back to that, enemy can't do anything against them. I don't know who in this place is struggling with insecurity or maybe arrogance or maybe you've made a lot of things about what they're not supposed to be about or maybe you've you've been taken on lies of other people and started to believe them, started to, to live out some lies of others. I, I don't know what you're battling with, but I felt very heavy this week that somebody Somebody in this house just needs to have a vulnerable moment. And God brought the picture of me and my son a few weeks ago because I believe that's what he wants to do with somebody today. He wants to meet you at this altar. He wants to hear the lie. And he wants to turn and speak truth to your heart. Because you are loved. You are wanted. You are his child.